Good morning. It's good to see you this morning, to be able to worship God with you this morning together. It's good to see everybody. We do have visitors with us. We want to welcome you to let you know we're excited to have you today. We're excited to have you here with us, worshiping our God together. And for the few moments that we have here in this time to open up God's Word and to study from it, I'm excited about that, and I know you're excited about that as well. Uh, Last Sunday morning, we spent our time in study specifically talking about the holiness of God, thinking about God and that attribute of His. It's one of those attributes we don't talk a lot about. We often spend time talking about His great power or His forever presence or His incredible knowledge. We talk about His love and His goodness and His kindness and His forgiveness. All of those things are important. All of those things are perfect. But last week, we spent our time talking about his holiness. And we had talked directly about when we spend time talking about holiness, or we spend time talking about being holy, the idea behind that word and even that concept is separation, to be cut off or to be separated from something. And we cited in generalities the passage that Aaron just read in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5 about God and the point made about him. Even though the word holy isn't used there or holiness isn't used there, the idea is there where John tells us that God, he is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And so the idea there is that God is completely separated from wickedness. He is completely separated from evil. Now that, when reference to God, is easy for us to understand. There isn't any of us among us, not one of us here, who would say, well, God is 90% good and 10% evil. Nobody would say that. Or nobody would say God is 99.5% good and 0.5% evil. None of us would say that. We understand that he is light and in him there is no darkness. It's easy for us to say with God, he is 100% goodness and righteousness and 0% wickedness. That's 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5. A concept we know, a concept we believe, and something everyone here would agree with. Now listen, you keep that belief in the front of your mind because we're going to use the same principle with reference to another group of folks that we struggle with making the same application. And spoiler alert, it's you and I. I want you to think about God and his holiness and how perfect it is. It's easy for us to see. It's easy for us to understand. But where we struggle is, is that throughout Scripture, God's call for us also to be holy. And the comparison, the example that's given is his own holiness. And so that's why it's important for us to begin with the concept of understanding God's holiness and that in him is no darkness at all. That's God's holiness. He is forever and absolutely separated from wickedness. He is light and in him there is no darkness. That's God's holiness. 
And when we think about God's holiness and we're comprehending and we're contemplating God's holiness, there are a couple of passages then that begin to sing pretty loud for us, both in the Old Testament as well in the New Testament. I have on the screen behind me Leviticus chapter 19. In Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 1, it is the old law, it is the old commandment, it is God speaking to the people of Israel, and he talks about holiness. Listen to what he says. He says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy. Why? For I, the Lord your God, am holy. And so he's thinking about and talking about his own holiness. And he tells Moses, I want you to talk to the people of Israel, and I want you to tell them, you also be holy. He says, I am holy, you be holy. Now, before we start to think, well, that's in the Old Testament, that's in the book of Leviticus, what does that have to do with us? Well, that same exact concept is reiterated in the pages of the New Testament. In the book of 1 Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13 beginning, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. One of my most favorite phrases in all of the New Testament, gird up the the loins of your mind, be sober, rest your hope fully upon the grace that is brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but listen to what he says. But as he, God, who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. So again, here in the book of First Peter, you have this call for God's people to be holy. But to be holy where? In what areas of my life? In all of my conduct. Now, I've had those passages up on the screen behind me. I want you to go back now to the book of 1 John. We're going to read verses 5 through 7 once again. It'll be for the second time. But I want you to be looking for God's holiness, and I want you to be looking for our call to holiness. There's an interesting parallel given to us here in this passage in talking about God, where he is, and where we are to be. In 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, it says, This is the message which we have heard from him and declared to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. That's God's holiness. He is separated completely from darkness. But listen to this. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and we walk in darkness... We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now let's think about the point that's made here. It's not hard. It's not a hard one. It's easy. Easy point made here. We see the pictures. Where is God? God is all light. That's where he is. He is dwelling here All the light, that's where he dwells. In him there is no darkness. If darkness is represented by over on this side, there is no darkness in him. He is all the light. That's God. Now John goes on to now talk about us. And so he says, 
if we say, if we say we have a relationship with God, here's where he is, all the light. If we say that we have a relationship with him, but our life, what we're doing is walking in the darkness. If we're walking in the darkness, but we say we have a relationship with him, we're a liar. Because what did we just learn? There's no darkness with God. So if I'm walking in the darkness, nah, that's not where God is. No relationship with God. And so the point, the admonition is in verse 7, walk in the light. But how so? How are we to walk in the light? As he is in the light. And what do we've already talked about? How is God in the light? Is he 80% in the light? Is he 95% in the light? Is he 99% in the light? Where's God in comparison to the light? He's all light, 100% in no darkness. So John's admonition is you walk in the light, not a little bit, not some of the time, not most of the time, you walk in the light as God is in the light. Be holy, for I am holy. And so you begin to see those comparisons. So 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, showcases that as a follower of God, I have an obligation to walk and to live holy. Walking in the light, why? Because that's where he is. Now that concept should be easy for us. The application of that can sometimes be tricky. So for us this morning, that's where we're going to spend the most of our time. I'm going to give you two application points this morning. And before you start to think, well, last week he gave just two points. And listen, preachers are three-point guys. And don't start to think, well, am I going to become a two-point guy? Nope. I'm just different. I have a th- two points and three points sometimes. Next Sunday, I may have 47 points to make. I don't know. I might. I don't know. We'll see when we get there. But for us this morning, two things for us to think about. Two things for us to consider with this concept of living holy as he is holy. And the first is this. In the places we choose to go, we must choose holiness. Now, let's think about that together a little bit. To help us, let's look at the book of James. And James chapter 4 is where I want to turn together. James chapter 4, there's a, 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 a statement that's made. It is an analogy that's made for us about God, about our relationship to the world, and our relationship to God. In James chapter 4, beginning in verse 4, listen to what James says. He says this, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, I want us to think about this passage just for a second. And I want us to think about the analogy that's used here in James chapter 4. I think sometimes when we read this passage, we miss the analogy and we go to the specific. 
we begin to convince ourselves that the analogy given here in James chapter 4 is adultery. That's not the analogy. That's the specific that's given. The analogy is marriage. That's the analogy. That's the picture he wants you to have in your mind. The point that he's making as having a relationship with God. Certainly this analogy is made in other places in the New Testament. We are married to God. Paul will make the point in the book of Romans that what God has done, we have been freed because of Christ's sacrifice, free from sin to marry another righteousness. And so we have this analogy that's used often in the New Testament. That is the analogy, marriage. So think about that. And so he says, if you are going to say that you are true and that you love and that you have an intimate relationship with God, but yet you fool around with the world, he says that's adultery. That is, you are committing adultery. And we know that's terrible and we shouldn't do that. He says that's what the picture is. But let's not lose sight of the analogy. Because if we lose sight of the analogy of marriage, we lose sight of what it means to be holy. You might say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, let's think of it this way. Especially if you are here this morning and you are married, you understand this analogy. Because the analogy isn't, I would only be bothered if Kim, my wife, commits adultery with another man. That's the only thing that would bother me. That's the only thing I would be concerned with. We know that not to be the case. Because as a married person, and you, a lot of you, as a married person, we would be bothered by our spouse flirting around with somebody. I'd be bothered by that. I would be bothered by my spouse in constant communication with another man, talking to him on the phone all the time, texting back and forth all the time. I would be bothered by that. Would you be bothered by your spouse having lunch or dinner with someone and they're out and they're holding hands and they're laughing and giggling and just enjoying each other's company all the time, would you be okay? Now, they've not committed adultery, but would you be okay with that? You see, all of us understands, no, I would be bothered by that. That's not okay. It's not okay in that way. That's the picture that God wants us to paint. He wants us to understand that, listen, here is the problem. If you're flirting around with the world, which is an enemy of God, God has a problem with that. If you're gallivanting with the world, you're fooling around, you're just hanging out even just a little bit, God has a problem with that because he is an enemy of the world. And so now we start to think, For us to live holy lives, we must be careful about the places that we go and the places that we spend our time. Here's a couple examples. Is it wise or is it foolish for me to be continually spending my time in a place that either severely tempts or strains my holiness? Is that, is that wisdom or foolishness? If as a young person, 
There's a party that all of your high school friends are going uh, uh, to be at. And it is a party in which there is debauchery and sinfulness and sexual things that are taking place. Is it wise or foolish to say, I can go to this place, I can go to this party, and maybe I can be strong and not sin. I can be strong, but yet at the same time we're severely tempting or straining our holiness. Is that be holy for I am holy? Is that a picture of God and his holiness? The same application is made for each of us as adults. And the places that we go and the things that we find ourselves doing, think about those things. Right now, as we're talking, be mindful of the places that you go. And you routinely, and the things that you are routinely doing, are these things severely tempting or straining your holiness? If you're constantly thinking, here is the place that I go, these are the things that I like to do. Yes, it is difficult to be a Christian there. Yes, it is very, very hard to be holy and righteous there. But I'm strong enough, I'm big enough, I can handle it. Yes, it's hard. Is that be holy for I am holy? Or is there wisdom in choosing holy things and holy places to spend our time? It is reminiscent of a very recent theme that we had here at Trader's Point for the year of choosing the better. It is that idea of wisdom, the idea of wisdom. Uh, Look at the book of Ephesians now. In Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. For me to think that I can spend time in dark places and that not have an impact on my holiness is foolish. Ephesians chapter 5, listen to what the Apostle Paul has to say about our attitude towards the world. Beginning of verse 1, he says, Therefore be imitators of God. Does that sound familiar? Be imitators of God as dear children. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for the saints. You know, that phrase that you have there in verse 3, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for the saints. I'm reading out of the New King James Version, but, you know, it's there for us plainly. He says, listen, you, you're not, you need not to be engaged with fornication. You need not to be engaged with un- unclean things. Why? Because you are holy. That's not fitting for holy people. That's not a lifestyle fitting for holy people. That's not decisions that holy people make. It's not fitting for the saints. It shouldn't, he says, be even named among you. Another translation that uses this, and I like the NIV specifically there in that verse in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 3 renders it this way. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality 
or of any kind of impurity or of greed. Listen, because these are improper for God's holy people. That's exactly what we're talking about. And so what about the decisions that I'm making? The places that I go, the things that I'm doing. What impact is that having on my holiness? Think about it this way. The places that I'm routinely going, the things that I'm routinely doing, is it easy or difficult to be holy in those places? If you find yourself routinely saying, you know what, what I'm doing day to day and the decisions that I'm making, it is a huge challenge for me to be holy. I'm going to urge you to begin to think about doing different things and going to different places. Because ultimately, it is a choice that we make. Nobody forces us to go places. Nobody forces us to do things. Not here. Nobody forces us to spend time in those spots. Nobody forces us to get ourselves in those various circumstances. We choose that. So why would I choose something that has a strain on me being holy as God is holy? So we've got to think about the places that we go. Secondly, we've got to be careful about the people that we choose to be around. The people that we choose to be around. Again, it's a choice that we make. Let's go to the book of Proverbs. I find it interesting. We're going to talk about the book of Psalms as well here in just a second. But I do find it interesting in the book of Proverbs. There's a lot going on in the book of Proverbs. I understand it's... It's very bullet pointy uh, in the book itself. There are certainly some things that uh, go together in passages from time to time, but it is very bullet pointy as the book goes on. But there's a lot said about the people that we choose to spend our time with, a lot said. And what I find interesting is one of the largest sections that talk about that, God put at the very beginning of the book. I mean, it's out of the chute. Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1, there is a massive section that warns us implicitly about the people we choose to be around and the danger that that can represent. Let's read it together. Proverbs chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. Listen, listen to the words. He says, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait to shed blood. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all kinds of precious possessions. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in your lot among us. Let us all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your foot from their path, for their feet run to evil. And they make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird, but they lie in wait for their own blood. They lurk secretly for their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain, who takes away the life of its owners. Now, I recognize in Proverbs chapter 1, this, this passage is specifically dealing with murder and robbery. But yet the principles are still there. Think about all the warnings that are given just in these verses. Verse 10, do, do, do not consent to their counsel, 
verses 11 and 12, especially when they're enticing you to do evil, verses 13 and 14, when they are tempting you with easy gain, verses 15 and 16, do not walk with them, verse 17, their efforts are in vain or are empty, verses 18 and 19, eventually they will pay for their evil deeds. But what I love about this passage is the answer that we give. What do I do about that? And there are two things directly in this passage that I want to point out to you. The, per, the first one is in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 10. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. You don't have to listen. You don't have to go. You don't have to spend time with wicked people. You don't have to do it. Well, one of the best ways, the best way, not to get wrapped up in wickedness with other people is not to spend time with wicked people. You don't spend time with wicked people, you're not going to get wrapped up in their wickedness. And so he says right out of the gate, do not consent with them. I made reference to here at the beginning of the book of Proverbs, but think about the book of Psalms. Again, the book of Psalms is a very similar kind of book. You do have some Psalms, certainly that are tied together, but it really is one to the next and to the next and to the next. But yet God gave us Psalm 1. And the very first word, In the longest book in the Bible, 150 chapters, Psalm 1, 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. That is the very first line of the book of Psalms. And it's exactly what we're talking about here. Back to Proverbs chapter 1. He'll say it as straight as he can. In verse 15, My son, do not walk in the way with them. So you have in verse 10, don't uh, don't listen to them. Verse 15, stay away from them. Now let's think with logic. Let's think with logic. If I am choosing to be in a group surrounding myself with wicked people, their thoughts are on wickedness, their speech is about wicked things, their actions are wicked in what they do, if I surround myself with those types of people, I choose that. How can I convince myself that's not going to have an impact on my holiness? At the same time, if I choose, if I choose to surround myself with righteous thinking people and righteous speaking people and righteous acting people, I'm not here to say everybody is perfect or that there are perfect people out there. That's not the point. But if I choose to surround myself with people also striving for holiness, will that have an impact on my holiness? There isn't a person among us. All of us here are smart enough to know. You surround yourself with wicked people, it's going to have an impact on your holiness. You surround yourself with righteous people, 
that also will have an impact on your holiness. And so if we, Proverbs chapter 1, we're choosing not to spend time with the wicked, the book of Proverbs points directly to where our time should be. Passages like this, Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 20. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 20 says this, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Maybe in the same opening, it is for me, Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 26. Here is one of the ultimate points that we're going to make this morning. The righteous should choose his friends carefully, for the way of the wicked leads them astray. What's a proverb person saying? If you're a righteous person and you have a group of wicked people, you need to be careful and not choose that group because the wicked leads people away. So let's be honest. Let's be honest. And let's invite our friend Frank to the conversation. I I want you to be thinking and be thinking about these two things. Who is your closest friend? Who is your closest and tightest confidant? Who are the people that you routinely surround yourself with and spend a predominant amount of time with? All of us can put that person or those few people in our mind. I'm asking you right now to put that person or those people in your head. Put them there. Put them in your mind right now. And then you ask yourself, is that person or those group of people, is that helping or are they hindering my holiness? Listen, friends, we've got to choose wisely. We've got to choose wisely. Why? Because I'm called to be holy. I'm called to be separate. Now, the point is it that I'm I'm not to speak to someone who is of the world, or I'm not to spend time with someone who is lost. No, we've got to evangelize. We've got to have those relationships. I'm talking our closest of confidants. I'm talking those that we spend the predominant amount of our time. Why do you think God, why do you think God put the church together in the way that he did? You think he just haphazard pulls something out of a hat and be like, well, maybe we'll get them together routinely. Pull something out of of that. Maybe they should spend time together and be hospitable with one another. Pull something out of the hat. Maybe they should have a unique relationship with one another. You think he's just pulling things out of the hat? No, God knows we need people around us. He knows it. What has he done? Look at all of these people that he has provided for us. What is this? this is God's gift to us, his church. We've got to be thinking about the people we surround ourselves with. We've got to be thinking about the places that we go. We've got to be thinking about the things that we do. Why? Because we are called to be holy. We are called to walk in the light not in some of the light or most of the light. We are called to walk in the light as he is in the light. 
That is all the way. I would encourage us as we close to be thinking about this week. Be thinking about the places you go. Be thinking about the things that you do. Be thinking about the people you spend your time with. And be thinking about all of that in comparison to your holiness. Do those places and those people severely tempt or strain your holy living? Or does it encourage your holy living? And I would admonish you to find places and things and people that encourage holiness, not tempt it. Be holy, for I am holy. I appreciate you listening so well this morning. Got a big group of folks with us this morning. It's a beautiful day and a wonderful, wonderful opportunity to be here together worshiping God. Kevin's going to lead us in a song of invitation. It gives us an opportunity to be thinking about our relationship with God. It is the predominant relationship that should be on our mind. It's what we've talked about today. Walking in the light as he is in the light. Making sure our relationship is where it needs to be. And maybe your relationship with God isn't where it needs to be. Maybe we can help in some way this morning. If we can, you let us know as we stand and sing.